series right now called Taboo, and basically what we're doing with this series is we're, we're diving into some topics, some subjects that you normally wouldn't hear talked about on a Sunday morning. Um, this morning, uh, we're looking at a subject that, that I mean, I, have, I personally haven't heard a lot about in, in church. In fact, in the church environment that I grew up in, it actually wasn't really okay to even go here. We're going to be looking at sincere doubt, and growing up, doubt was just not okay in the church environment that I was a part of. To question your faith, to question God, um, was just unacceptable. It was taboo. Um, in church in Sunday school, if, if you grew up going to church, you might have heard the song that has the line in it, don't be a doubting Thomas. We just don't do that. Doubt, don't go there. Stay away from that. Doubt was the enemy. It just wasn't allowed. And there were plenty of scripture verses that were quoted that would just reinforce this idea that doubt was, wasn't okay. Verses like the one in James where it says, you must believe and not doubt because if you, if you doubt, you're like a wave of the sea. You're just blown and tossed by the wind. Um, when I was a kid going to uh, Sunday school, one of the, the stories that was told all the time was the story about how Peter was in the boat and then Jesus comes walking along on the water and then Jesus calls Peter out to walk on the lo- water with him. Peter starts to see the waves and the wind just blowing around him. He starts to sink, and then Jesus questions him, saying, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? These and other scriptures just reinforce this idea that doubt was not okay. And if you were to ever forget that, there was a Christian bumper sticker just waiting around the corner to remind you that doubt was not okay. Some of them read things, said things like, Doubt sees the obstacles, but faith sees the way. When in doubt, pray it out. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And as a result of of doubt being so unacceptable, those who ever experienced doubt would usually end up doing one of two things. Either they would just push that doubt down, they push it down deep rather than talk about it, express it in a healthy way, or two... And I've seen this happen so many times over the years, it's it's tragic. This is what people normally do who experience doubt, is they would just end up walking away from church, they would end up walking away from their faith, and they would feel like there was something wrong with them if they doubted. Bumper sticker Christianity, it sounds so good, but here's the problem with it. Eventually, life happens in a way that can just rattle your faith. And without you ever asking for it, sincere doubt is standing there right on your doorstep. When sincere doubt shows up, it usually happens after one of two things. It can show up after that first big test of your faith. So this is the teenager who has grown up in the church. Maybe all they've, they've just heard about God and, and the Bible and their parents have talked about faith and they just they believe in God, they believe what they're hearing, but then they head off to college and then all of a sudden they're being asked questions or presented with arguments that they've got no answer for and they find themselves for the first time going, I've got some doubts about this, this faith. Sincere doubt will also sometimes show up after a painful and disappointing experience. I prayed that God would protect my daughter, but where was he the night her uncle took advantage of her? Or it's, it says right here in God's word that God, he, he protects us. He's a refuge that no harm is going to come near us. Well, why didn't he stop that car from blowing through that, that stoplight and T-boning my car and, and ruining my life? 
Or what about my mom? Jesus healed people all the time, and the Bible says there's nothing impossible with God. Well, why didn't he heal my mom when she was being tormented by cancer? And I, I probably shouldn't be saying this as a pastor, but two weeks ago, I found myself in territory that I hadn't been in in a, in a long time. I, in, in just under a week, I had been at the bedside of, of two men just before they passed away. And as I left the second time, I was overcome. There's no other way to put it. I was overcome with sincere doubt. And it, as I um, drove away, I, was, I found myself sincerely wondering whether or not Jesus was going to be there on the other side of my last breath. And I wasn't expecting doubt. I didn't think this was going to happen. Me and Jesus have been tight. I love him. He loves me. But here I was, driving away from the hospice house, sincerely doubting my faith and distraught that I was even feeling this way. And if you've ever been in that spot where doubt just looms so big, it looms just way larger than your faith, you know that that's just an, an awful place to be in. It's not a pleasant place. It shakes you. It rattles you to your core. But what makes it even worse for the person that's experiencing some sincere doubt is that the message you get from much of the church world is that that is an unacceptable place to be in. You can't be there. You shouldn't be there. If you find yourself there, get out as fast as you can. Just slap a Christian bumper sticker on it. Just put on your happy-go-lucky face that says God is good all the time and just move on with your life. Push it aside. And this morning, there's something from Scripture that I want us to see. It's something that you might have never heard said in a church before. And that's simply this. It is okay to doubt God. Or to put another way, God is okay with your doubt. God is not afraid of it. He's not bothered by it. He's not hurt by it. He's not offended by it. In fact, I believe, and as I'm going to present to you through Scripture this morning, He is 100% okay with your doubt. When it comes to doubters, there's one person that just, he just towers above all others in history. In fact, throughout history, he has become identified with his doubt. His name is Thomas, but the nickname that he's become known by throughout history is Doubting Thomas. How would you like to have that be your legacy? Doubting whatever your name is. Well, in Scripture, he's got this other nickname that he goes by. He was nicknamed Didymus, which means the twin. I like to think that his real close friends just called him T. Diddy. Um, he was the original Puff Daddy, Thomas, T. Diddy. But, but Thomas also happens to be one of Jesus' 12 disciples for the most part. He's kind of this background disciple. He's not like Peter and John. You know, Peter and John, they're always out there. They're just like, they're, they're seen all the time throughout the, the time, Jesus' time on earth. Thomas, for the most part, he just goes unnoticed. But when he does show up, he tends to show up at some of the biggest moments of Jesus' time on earth. There's three places where he shows up in Scripture, and we're going to look at all three of them this morning. But rather than start with the first one, we're going to start with the second one, then we're going to go back to the first one, and then end with the third, third time he shows up. Um, second time he, he shows up in Scripture, it happens in John chapter 11. I'm just going to set the scene for you. Lazarus, a man who was a close friend of Jesus, has become very sick. And when word gets to Jesus, Jesus 
decides that rather than go visit his sick friend, he decides that he's just going to stay put um, for a little bit longer. However, after two days, Jesus says to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. That's where Lazarus is sick. Sounds like a good idea. It sounds like, hey, this is, it's about time, Jesus. It's been two days. It's about time that you go visit your, first, your, your, your friend Lazarus. Well, his disciples think that this is a terrible idea. And as they explain to Jesus, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. They wanted you dead. And yet, you are going back? They're like, okay, time out, Jesus. Wait a second. Um, that's really thoughtful of you to want to go back to Judea. And it's really thoughtful of you to want to go hang out with your friend there who's sick. But listen, those guys over there, they want you dead. This is a bad idea, Jesus. Jesus, we've got some questions about your judgment here. The disciples, they doubted him. They questioned him. They're wondering if he's lost it, if he really knows what he's doing. And I find personally, not only in my own life, but, but even in talking with different people, when it comes to doubt, we tend to doubt less in the existence of God than we do in the character of God. In other words, we believe that there's a God. We believe that the God of the Bible, we believe okay, that's, that's God. But we question if he really knows what he's doing with this whole running the universe deal. Or, or you read about how he loves the, the, the world, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You read that and, 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 and you, you just, you've always heard that. But with the way he didn't step in and shield you from your pain and from your suffering, you question whether or not he really loves you. Thomas and the 12 disciples, they, they doubt Jesus. Their faith is lacking. And Jesus, he senses their doubt, and so he comes in and he offers some words of encouragement. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by, the, by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Now, in first look, you go, okay, those are some really strange words to be saying to somebody who's experiencing doubt. But then when you dig in a little bit, you actually realize, okay, these are actually some powerful words. He's basically saying, you question me because you're walking by the world's light. You're walking by, by what you can see with your, your eyes. And as a result, you're stumbling. Instead, walk in the light. I'm the light. Jesus, I'm, I'm the light of the world. Stay close to me instead of stumbling over your questions and stumbling over your doubts. These are, I mean, it's encouraging words, but they fall on deaf ears. And as we're going to see in just a second, the disciples, especially Thomas, were still just full of doubt. Next, Jesus looks at them and he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. They're like, Yay, we don't, we don't have to go, Jesus. He's just sleeping. Let's let him have some rest. We, we shouldn't go there and interrupt him. Jesus, let's just stay put right here and live. Next, Jesus looks at them, and, and he says, um, sorry. Uh, the Bible goes on to say, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, you nincompoops. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, he's just, he's playing with them. It doesn't say nincompoops in the Bible, by the way. He, 
but for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, P. Diddy, he said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is not a statement of faith. It's a statement that is dripping with negativity. It's dripping with doubt. Thomas is a realist. He's thinking, Jesus, I've got some serious questions about the way that you're leading us here. We're all going to die. He doubts. And, and you know what Jesus does next when he's faced with Thomas's doubt, when he sees this doubt, not only from Thomas, but from the rest of the, the disciples? You know what he does next? He crosses his arms. He furrows his brow. He silently shakes his head in disappointment, and he walks away. No, he doesn't do that. He sighs heavily. He says, oh, Thomas, you have little faith. When are you ever going to get it? He doesn't do that either. He says, Thomas, I've got to have a difficult conversation with you. Thomas, you know, I invited you to come follow me a few years back. I thought by now, after all the miracles that you've seen, after all this great teaching that you've been under, I thought by now that Jesus, or, or that Thomas, that you would just understand that you would get it. But Thomas, you clearly don't. So Thomas, I'm cutting you from the team. Sorry, buddy. Um, you've got my number. Call me if you ever start to get it. You know, look me up. I'll be there for you. But Thomas, from here on out, you're just going to have to stay away. After all, Thomas, i got a big miracle to do later on. Your, 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 your negativity is, is, is wrecking my mojo. And so, Thomas, we're just going to have to kind of, we're just going to have to part ways. He doesn't do that either. Instead, he does something that he does a lot of the time when one of his followers doubts him. And it's, it's super powerful. It's really exciting stuff, what he does. Here's how Jesus responds to Thomas's doubt. He does nothing. He does nothing. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't cut him from the team. Um, he doesn't say just the right thing to all of a sudden make Thomas shift from faith to doubt. Instead, he just listens to Thomas's cynical, doubting words, and then he turns around and he heads towards Judea with Thomas following right behind him. Jesus is okay with Thomas's doubt. He doesn't mind doubters. In fact, not only is he okay with doubters, something else that you've got to see this morning is that when Jesus chose Thomas to follow him, he chose him knowing full well that Thomas would have a lot of moments where he was full of doubt. You want to know where, where Thomas first appears in the Bible? It's actually a few years before this whole Lazarus story takes place. Um, Jesus has uh, been up all night. He's been praying. Jesus is a relatively unknown figure. And the Bible says that when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas. Jesus chooses a doubter. He knew that Thomas would struggle between faith and doubt, and yet he chose him anyway. And for the person this morning who's here, and you're feeling like, there's something wrong with me because of my doubt. And you're beating yourself up and you're convinced that, that, that you've just missed it. Listen, Jesus knew that you would have seasons of doubt. And yet he chose you and invited you to follow him anyway. He knew that one day you'd question his character. He knew that your doubt would even cause you to wander away from him. He knew all that and yet he chose you anyway. 
And as Jesus heads off to Judea with Thomas' negative words just kind of hanging in the air, the, the unspoken words of Jesus to Thomas and to us to, when we doubt are these, hey, no worries. It's okay to doubt. Your questions, they're valid questions to be asking. If you don't think that, that God is okay with doubt, you, if you think that God is angry or that he's offended with doubters, then you have to seriously question why in the world God would include some of the Psalms that are, that are in the Psalms, why would he include these Psalms in the Bible? We've all probably heard about Psalm 23. We love to talk about Psalm 23. Um, the Lord is a shepherd. I, I don't, I have no wants because he's my shepherd. He leads me beside these quiet, still waters. He restores my soul. He's there. I don't even have to fear the valley of the shadow of death because he's walking alongside of me. I read Psalm 23, and the picture that I get in my head is, is David just laying out on the green grass, just peace, just bliss, as, as he's there with God by his side. But have you ever read Psalm 22? That's the psalm right before Psalm 23. You know what I'm saying? Listen, listen to how it starts. This is David, the same guy that wrote Psalm 23. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. That's a little different than he leads me beside still waters, isn't it? Apparently, even the great King David experienced sincere doubt. And God includes that in the Bible? You know, God wasn't okay with doubt. You would think that he would just kind of, in, in his sovereignty and just being over everything and the Bible coming together, he would just have made sure those parts didn't get in the Bible. But here they are in the Bible. God's okay with doubt. And you want to know why he's okay with Thomas's doubt? Why he's okay with the doubt of his disciples? Why he's okay with King David's doubt? Why he's okay with your doubt? The best way for me to help you understand why he's okay with, with doubt is, is through a story. So about a month ago, um, my youngest daughter, her name is Presley, uh, she, I come home from work, and as I walk in the, the, the front door, Presley is there to greet me with this huge smile. I mean, she is beaming from ear to ear, just full of excitement. And yeah, that happens a lot with me and my kids and everybody, you know. Uh, but no, this, this time, she was beaming. I mean, rays of sunshine practically coming off her face. She's just lit up like a Christmas tree. And as I'm wondering um, what's going on, she tells me with just a hint of gloating in her voice that that day at school, one of the Seattle Seahawks showed up at her school. And so I'm like, uh, I don't think so, Presley. You know, I'm not the dad that just immediately just believes everything that my kids say. Thank goodness, right? But, but I'm like, no, I don't think so, Presley. Uh, it's pro probably just one of your teachers dressed up with a Seattle Seahawks jersey, pretending to be a, a Seattle Seahawk, silly six-year-old. Seattle Seahawks just don't show up at Skyline Elementary School. There's no way that, that, that it was Seattle Seahawks there. I questioned, and I made it very clear to Presley that I did not believe the story that she was telling me. And did she get mad? Did she get upset? Did she get offended? Was she bothered? Was she bugged? Was she angry? Was she hurt? Not a single bit. 
Instead, her big, goofy grin got even bigger as she raced upstairs to show me this. There's Presley. She, my daughter's the one on the bottom left with the big, massive grin on her face. There's Miss Karen, her awesome teacher, who goes through the church. I'm not sure she's here this morning. And there in the back, you'll never be able to find the Seattle Seahawks, right? Jordan Hill, defensive tackle for the Seattle Seahawks. You see, Presley wasn't bothered by my doubt because she knew what she knew. She knew. She had seen a Seattle Seahawk, and she also knew that she was about to show me something that was going to move me from doubt to faith. Thomas, he looks around with the rest of the disciples, and he's like, Jesus, I am not sure what you're up to here. They just tried to kill you there. I don't, I've got some questions, Jesus, about where you're taking us. I've got some questions about your leadership ability. Jesus, I am not sure what's going on here. I doubt you, Jesus. But then I imagine Jesus with a big goofy grin on his face, turns around and he starts to walk to Judea, probably picking up the pace a little bit because he's thinking, Thomas, just hang with me. I'm about to show you something pretty awesome. That my friend Lazarus, who's dead, I'm about to raise him back to life. Thomas, you're about to move from doubt to faith. And if you're here this morning and you're experiencing doubt today, it's okay. Jesus knows, and your doubt doesn't phase him. It doesn't change the way that God sees himself. And get this, it does not change the way that God sees you. He chose you. He still loves you. And, and he's going to eventually step in and show up in your life in such a way that moves you from doubt to faith. But here's the deal. you got to be like Thomas. you got to stick with him you got to stick with him long enough to see that day. Thomas is a doubter, but he is a loyal doubter. He's like, Jesus, we're, you're going to get us all killed. But then he follows behind Jesus anyways. He makes that journey. And as he makes that journey, he sees Lazarus come walking out of the tomb, dressed up like a mummy from Hotel Transylvania or something. And, and he sees it all because he's stuck with Jesus through his doubt, he stuck with Jesus through his questions. And, you know, you'd think that Lazarus, you know, walking out of the grave, Lazarus had been dead for four days. He comes walking out. Jesus calls him out. There he is. They unwrap him. Lazarus goes on, has a meal, all that kind of stuff. You would think that from then on that with Thomas, it'd be like happily ever after. No more struggles with doubt. You know, his faith would just be so rock solid in Jesus after having seen that. But not so much. Jesus would get nailed to a cross, and Thomas's faith would be shaken and go through its biggest test yet. Jesus would get nailed to a cross, buried in a tomb, and then all the disciples, every last one of them would go from faith to doubt. Peter would deny Jesus three times. Judas would betray Jesus altogether, and the rest of the, the disciples would just go running off in fear for their lives. Jesus, though, story ends pretty good. He defeats death, he's raised to life, and then on the evening of his resurrection, he makes this brief appearance to his disciples, all that is except one, Thomas. 
is not there when Jesus shows up. And we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 20, verse 24. It says this. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, T. Diddy, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And I just read that and I go, okay, hold on a second, Jesus. If there's one guy that needs to be in the room when you show up, it's doubting Thomas. But Jesus, he shows up and Thomas isn't there. I just think, you know, couldn't he have at least just waited? He could have, but he doesn't. And the Bible goes on to say, so the other disciples, um, they told him, they, they, they've seen Jesus and they find Thomas and they say, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You see, as much as the disciples know what they saw, Thomas knows what he saw too. He saw them lay his lifeless body in the grave. And he's thinking, you know, you say what, what, what you think, you, you say what you want about Jesus being alive, but I saw what I saw. And this is doubt. You're thinking, say what you want about God being good. I watched the news. I, I know my world history. I've seen too much. There's too much evil in this world for you to say that God is good. You say what you want, but, but I, I know what I know. Or if he's so loving, then how come he, you fill in the blank. I saw what I saw. You say what you want to say about God, but, but I, I've, I've, I've seen what I've seen. And Thomas is in this place. He, he knows what he saw. He saw Jesus die. His friends are telling him something different. And he's faced with a, deci a decision. Is he going to believe what he sees, or is he going to believe what he doesn't see? Will he go to faith in that moment, or will he go to doubt? And Thomas, like he always seems to do, he goes to doubt. And the Bible goes on to say a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Did you catch that? An entire week goes by before Jesus shows up again. You know, why didn't Jesus? I, I, step, I step back and I go, okay, Jesus, you, you stopped in on the, the, the disciples in the room and you know, why didn't you just, like, take a little detour over here and you know where Thomas was and just showed up and say, hey, Thomas, here I am. I'm alive. Awesome. You know, why didn't he do that? Why did he just leave him in that place of doubt for so long? Why is a great question to be asking, but something that I'm learning more and more all the time is that it's one that rarely gets answered this side of eternity. But if you can just hang in there. If you can just hang in there, Jesus will show up in your life. It's a week after Jesus' appearance, and Thomas, ever the loyal doubter, is still around. He hangs in there until one day, as they're all together, all of a sudden, though the doors were locked, Jesus came, and he stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then Jesus, you know, with love and mercy radiating from him, he looks around the room, and he locks eyes with Thomas. He sees doubting Thomas standing there, and then with sheer delight and joy, like a six-year-old showing her dad her Seahawks picture, he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out and put 
your hand, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. For the person in the room who doubts, I want you to see this morning, it's okay to doubt. It's okay to question. Jesus isn't mad. In fact, his posture towards you today is the same as his posture was with Thomas. He wasn't standing there like this when he walked in the room. He was standing there like this. He's inviting you to draw near to him. You see, Jesus doesn't push us away when we doubt. Instead, he invites us to push into him. He invites us to push into him. Thomas sees Jesus, and he moves from doubt to faith to worship. But it's not quite like that's, that with us, is it? You know, we're, we won't physically see Jesus in this lifetime. And Jesus knows this, and so he looks at Thomas. He has some words for Thomas, but his words are not just meant for Thomas. They're meant even more so for you and for me sta sitting here, standing here in this room today. Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And for some of you in this room this morning, you're not there right now. You haven't seen and you're having a hard time believing what you can't see. Maybe it's believing something, maybe it's believing God in his existence. Or maybe you're reading in your Bible or you're, you're hearing songs this morning about how we got a good, good father. You're going, yeah, you're saying that, but what I'm seeing doesn't, I'm seeing something different. And you're experiencing sincere doubt. I want you to know this morning that that's okay. But there's a blessing that awaits you as you push into Jesus rather than pull away from Jesus. And as we close this morning, I want to give you three simple ways that you can push into Jesus. And the first one is this. Get around people whose faith is strong. All the disciples have faith except Thomas. They believe. Thomas doesn't. He doubts. But he doesn't abandon them. Instead, he sticks close with them. He stays in relationship. Maybe he just stuck around them because he was encouraged by their faith. I like to think that the reason Thomas stuck around the, the other disciples in the midst of his doubt is because he knew they loved him, he knew they cared about him, he knew they weren't going to judge him and condemn him because of his doubt, but they were just going to listen, they were going to be there for him. And so he, he sticks around. He sticks around. One of the best things that you can do when you have doubt is to get around people who have strong faith. Don't do the opposite. Don't withdraw from your faith community. Don't pull back from church. Don't abandon your small group. Hang in there. And, and I want you to know that this church is a safe place to doubt. This isn't a church that's going to push you away, that's going to frown at you, that's going to cross their arms at you when you doubt, that's going to make you feel like there's something wrong with you. We're going to listen to you. We're going to be there for you. We're going we're gonna to pray for you. We're going to care about you. Get around people whose faith is strong. The second thing is this. Go to God's word and immerse yourself in the truth of who God is. Understand something this morning. When I say that God is okay with your doubt, that is different than if I was to say God wants you to stay in your doubt. God doesn't want you to stay in your doubt. Sincere doubt, it is a dark place 
it's a frightening place. And the longer that you've been a Christian, and, and, and all of a sudden in your journey, years, months, decades down the road, and all of a sudden you get hit with sincere doubt, I'm telling you, it is a dark, frightening place to be. It just, it's like the foundations of, of, of who you are are rattled to the core. It's a horrible place to be. And, and God doesn't want you to stay there. He cares about you too much to want you to stay there. And one of the primary ways that, that he'll lead you out is through Scripture. Psalm 119, 105 tells us that God's word is a light to our feet. It's a lamp to your path. God's word will lead you out of that, that doubt. We sang this morning about how he's a cornerstone and about how in our journey we have those moments where it's like we're shrouded with, with fog and uncertainty and doubt and all this stuff and about how your anchor can hold within that veil. Let the truth of God's word be an anchor for you when you're going through doubt. Go to God's word. Immerse yourself in the truth of who God is. And the last way to push into Jesus is to worship him despite how you feel. Worship him despite how you feel. When I had this, this moment here a couple weeks back where I was just, it, it, it's, it's even hard to put into words, but if you've been in a place of sincere doubt, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's awful. It's like this wet, dark blanket that's just cloaking you. And uh, the next uh, couple days after that, I was actually able to be around some, um, some, some pastor friends that are, um, I was the guy with the weak faith, they're the guys, their faith was strong. And one of the guys, he looked at me, I was just was sharing this, and I'm so thankful I can be around pastors who I can just say, I've got some sincere doubts going on right now. And they just, they just loved it. And, and one of the guys looked at me and he goes, Rich, doesn't this just show how insidious the enemy is? That you would be helping people in their, their grief by the bedside of, 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 of people as they're passing away. And the enemy comes in in that moment and just sows doubt. You've got to understand something this morning. When there's doubt, a lot of times there's, there's more going on than what you can see. A lot of times God will use your pain, or not God, but the enemy will use your pain and your, your suffering to bring doubt. And so here I was, I was wrestling with doubt. I had some people that were helping me, but, but the thing that was the game changer for me was this last point right here. I got home, and what I did is I grabbed my, my phone. Um, I, I have a worship mix that I put on, and I just went for a jog. And as I was jogging along, I wasn't singing because it's weird to jog and sing at the same time. But as I was jogging along, all of a sudden, songs like one of the songs that we sang this morning came up. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. I'm loved by you. You, 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 you pull me into yourself. You're pulling me deeper into yourself. Another song that came on, which in this moment where I was, the part of the doubt was around death, and I was just feeling like, man, death is so strong, and I was just, the doubts that were there. One of the songs that came on was, grave, the grave could not contain him. It declared that he's a mighty savior, lifted high, king forever. And something was changing inside of me as I was surrounding myself with worship music and as I, I, I was engaging in my heart in worship. 
Whenever King David would write a psalm of doubt, such as Psalm 22, something you'll find that's interspersed throughout a lot of these psalms is worship. Right in the middle of Psalm 22, he writes, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. Nothing, not even doubt about God or questions about his character could stop him from worshiping God. My question for us in closing this morning is this. What do you need to do? What do you need to do to push into Jesus? Is it, is it you've just been tempted to withdraw, to pull back from people? You, you just want to go off on your own and isolate? Maybe for you, you just got to get back into your faith community. You got to get people around you whose faith is strong. You gotta, maybe it's getting in church on a more consistent basis. Maybe it's, it's getting back in a small group. Maybe it's, it's, it's inviting some friends of yours who are believers. You, you know their faith is strong. You, you invite them. You get on the phone. You're like, let's go out for coffee. Or you text because nobody calls these days anymore. But you say, let's go out for coffee. And then you're just real. You're like, I got to tell you guys where I'm at. I've, just, I've got some sincere doubts about God, about his character. But don't pull back from community. Get in community. Maybe for, maybe for someone else, it's it's getting into God's word. You just have pulled back from scripture. Get into God's word. If you don't know where to go, go to the Psalms. It's a great place to go when you're struggling with doubt because you're going to read Psalms from people who are in the exact same place that you're in. And you're also going to read about how God is still a refuge. He's a fortress. He's a strong tower. Maybe for someone else, it's just worship. It's worship. And you're going to have an opportunity to do that here in about two minutes. We're going to close with a song that, that simply talks about how there's 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord. About how he's, he's good, he's great. And, and for you this morning, if you're in a place of sincere doubt, this might be the hardest thing for you to do because it goes so against everything that you're experiencing right now in life. But it could be the most powerful thing for you. Go to that place of worship. Sing it out. And as you push into Jesus... I just want I want you this morning to, to, to leave with the picture that Thomas had of Jesus. In his doubt, he sees Jesus like this. Jesus is inviting Thomas. He's inviting you today to draw into him, to push into him this morning. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for who you are. I'm so thankful for your goodness. I'm so thankful for your faithfulness. Lord, I know this morning that there's somebody here who's full of doubt, and you've got them here this morning because you are faithful, because you're drawing them to yourself, because you want them to be encouraged. You want to lift them up. So I pray, dear Lord, that this morning they would find encouragement. Lord, if for, if for nothing else, encouragement just to stick with you, to stay in, in community. God, give them that, 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 that sense of, of just determination to push through their doubts, to push through all the questions that they have. And Lord, I pray that, that Father, you would begin to move um, any that are doubting this morning, begin to move them from doubt to faith like only you can. And Lord, help us to trust your timing in that. Help us to stick with you, Lord, in the silence, in the questions. 
And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would, but that you would move people from, from doubt to faith, from doubt to faith. Lord, you are good. You are faithful. Jesus, you never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, your love is a rock. God, your truth is a fortress. Jesus, we stand firm in you today. Lord, I just want to pray your blessing on each person here. In Jesus' name I pray.